We are uh, going to transition into a series for Advent called Unexpected. We're going to be looking at these last, uh, this last couple chapters in the book of Matthew um, and some of the parables of, that Jesus told. Now, normally at Advent, we kind of plant ourselves in some text where there is this sense of waiting. What does it look like to wait? What does it look like to hope? What does it look like to anticipate? And lots of times those texts are Old Testament texts where we're placing ourselves into the story of Israel and what it looked like for Israel to do just that, to wait and hope in anticipation for Messiah. In this series, we're kind of fast-forwarding, putting ourselves into a different spot with the disciples and with Jesus as Jesus speaks about what is to come, his second coming, something that um, many of us like struggle to grasp and under- understand. Right There are expected and non-expected guests in our life. Like an unexpected guest could be some traveler that came over for Thanksgiving. They, they were planned. You sent out a list. You got ready. They brought sweet potatoes and pie, and you supplied turkey, and someone else brought the sides. Now, what's funny about our Friendsgiving meal that we had last week here at the church, we try to make plans and have lists, of course. We're really good about, like, filling it out at the end, right? Like good New Mexicans, we rebel against lists and just bring something that day. We keep our options open. So there's this expected and unexpected, right? And every time Emily and I are looking at that list and going, do we need to go buy something else? We do it. Why? Because we want to be ready. This is true in all sorts of other places. Like when you're expecting a baby... You ready yourselves. There's baby showers and lists. You get ready and prepared. A baby is coming. We need a crib and diapers and bottles and clothes. We make a list and we wait. We hope. We go to the doctor. We get checkups. All of this is the preparation of an expected guest. Now, maybe you've... uh, you're getting ready as a young mom who goes and, and, and you go to the bathroom and there in the stall you have an unexpected baby. And you've heard about this, right? We've read stories about this. It's obviously very rare, right? And even when you hear it, you're like, yeah, right. You didn't know, right? But there are un- other unexpected guests. Like, I'm sure we've all experienced the pop-in, right? When you live in close proximity to someone else, an in-law, some friends, there is the pop-in, and the pop-in is stressful. Why? Because you might not be ready. You might still be in your pajamas. You might not have makeup on. You probably have a messy house. And so the pop-in scares us because we aren't ready. Now, when the pop-in ceases to be the pop-in, when we're undone by our world and circumstances, and someone pops in on us in that moment to check on us, or pray, we suddenly become indifferent to the mess, right? We just collapse into the arms, even though they just popped in. There are times, friends, when we are like good Boy Scouts prepared, and other times when we're not. And our text today, and really the series during Advent, is about this idea of the unexpected, In verses 1 and 2, Jesus is at the temple with his disciples and chooses to use this time to teach. You guys see the temple, right? 
But there's a day coming when not a stone of that building will be left standing. I mean, that is shocking news for the disciples. It's like showing up at the Twin Towers before 9-11 and saying something like, you see those two buildings? Those things are coming down. It's that apocalyptic. It's that cataclysmic. And it's even more so because for the disciples, the temple was the center of their collective life. This apocalyptic saying of Jesus That word apocalyptic means an unveiling. Jesus is peeling back the layers of the onion for his disciples to see. So they ask, tell us, when will these things be? And here's our outline this morning, three parts. Tell us when, no one knows, so be ready. Tell us when. There is something about knowing things, right? Like when you get the inside scoop about what happens to your high school friend's marriage, or when you have the insider tip to some stock, or the latest gossip, some info about how an event went down. We love knowing these things. And so the disciples throughout their story with Jesus are caught up in those very same things, by the way. Notice Jesus says, See to it that no one leads you astray. There will be many who will come in the name of me about news about the end. Now here Jesus could be speaking about the very present, like Jesus has some knowledge in his humanity about the future and the disciples and such, and how they will face the reality of many false messiahs that will come after Jesus. But he's also talking about it further down the line as well. And this is how the Bible works. There are various types and epics to the fulfillment of things in the scriptures. And here in this context, Jesus, here in Matthew is referring to an event that will happen in A.D. 70. After Christ's death and resurrection, when the Romans will march into Jerusalem as empire, acting as the abomination of desolation, and they will level the temple. And this moment will feel like the end of the world. It will be apocalyptic. And there's types of that for us, right? It was 9-11. If you remember what it felt like if you were alive, what it felt like as you watched that event, the unnervingness of it, the unknown of it. We just went through COVID. I know you guys don't like me talking about it, but it's, it's real. And there was that feeling in March Like, I remember watching the NBA game where they pulled everybody off the court. And it felt like, what is happening? Jesus is telling his disciples, this destruction and demolition of the temple will come. And it will be an unveiling. And it will feel like the end of the world. And all those things are birth pains. Signs of what? Well, labor has all sorts of birth pains, right? Braxton Hicks, anyone? Ladies? Like, you start, I don't know this. I'm just speaking from, like, a distance watching Danette go through it. But it feels like maybe labor is about to come, right? Eventually, those pains do lead to labor. 
And Jesus says the temple falling will be a sign to what? The end. And then Jesus launches into all this mixed messaging about what's to come. And we're not going to get on to, into all of this, but it is apocalyptic. And when the disciples ask when, Jesus gives them signs of the when. Now remember this, when, when is the temple falling? The immediate context. And it leaks out, right? Where Jesus starts talking about something else. And what's the something, something else that he's talking about? Well, it's the second coming of Jesus. Now, I grew up in Baptist world, dispensationalism, and the rapture. And the end of the world was always around the corner. It haunted me in my sleep. It haunted me when I found myself at any time in my house alone. I, I remember as a child, the deacon's age, wandering around looking for my parents if they weren't in a place where I expected them to be, thinking the rapture had come. Now, this text can strike a lot of nerves here for us, if you grew up in, in that tradition. Because this was the text, and a very important text in kind of rapture teaching. Wanting to know when was the heartbeat behind the rapture. There will be some who will say they know when, Jesus says. But know how, notice how Jesus launches into the, the last part of this text, which we're going to spend most of our time in today. No one knows. Verse 36, no one knows, not the angels, not even the Son, whose day it is. No one knows but the Father. There is much speculation. There will many, be many who say they know, but no one knows. In fact, the signs that Jesus gives here are most predominant. The fall of the temple and the ascension of the Lord. These are the two signs that are most predominant in our text. The temple falling and the ascension of our Lord Jesus. And I want you to understand how the Bible thinks about the last days. Once Jesus was raised and ascended, and the temple fell in AD 70, we entered into what the Bible talks about as the last days. The epoch of time where Christ is the anointed king and where Satan launches his last-ditch effort against Christ and his disciples. Now, what be hard, what's hard for us is that this was 2,000 years ago. So how can the last days be 2,000 years? And what Jesus wants his disciples to know, that once you see these events happening, you've entered into that time when Christ can come at any moment. And then notice, Jesus doesn't even know the hour. There's a lot we could say here about this theologically, but Calvin says this about this text, Jesus, as our heaven-sent but earthly mediator, it was not given him to know what he would know after his resurrection. Christ accepted limitations of knowledge which are inseparable from his true humanity. Again, we're not going to get into all of that. But notice... His disciples, Jesus is calling his disciples to follow Jesus into the not knowing. False teachers think they know, Jesus says. And there are so many things, friends, that we do not know. The disciples asked at different times, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, this is not for you to know. It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that are 
Father has fixed, Jesus says. We should have certainty about some things, friends. But when things will happen are not one of them. Like, have you ever thought what it might be like to know the day you were going to die? We do think about these things. Like, if you knew the day that you were going to die, how would it change things for you? There's been many books and movies, different ways of entering entering into that story. Jesus says here, when it comes to the second coming of Jesus, life will go on like normal. When it even comes to the destruction of the temple, life will go on like normal until the very last minute. It will be like the flood, he says. Verse 37, just like the days of Noah, just like the flood, no one knew exactly when the flood would come. Flood here is a type of beginning, and the coming of of the Son of Man is a type of ending. And there was a carelessness, a cluelessness about the people when the flood was pronounced it was coming. I think about this. I think about when March happened of 2020, all the unknown, all the rumors and the news, and then it was upon us, right? Like we heard about COVID being something, coronavirus. It was over there. And then slowly we started hearing news about it. It was coming to America. Like we're Americans are weird, right? We think it's not going to touch us. I remember people saying that. Oh, it's not going to get here. Like we got some like better genes or whatever it might have been that we were thinking about, which is just wild. But that is American exceptionalism at its finest. There was a carelessness. There was a cluelessness. And then it was upon us. Now we can use not knowing as an excuse to not acting. I didn't know. But Jesus here gives the signs so the disciples might be ready. For Jesus, not knowing should make us what? Alert, awake, lest we are unprepared. He says in verse 38, there was whining and dining and marrying. Things will be normal. There will be parties and meals and courtship and marriage. Right into it. It comes when everything's going well. The people of Noah's day were indifferent. There was a nonchalance about God. The word of God had warned them, and yet they missed it. Verse 39, they did not know until the flood came and wiped them out. They did not know. Now, it is right to not know, as Jesus tells the disciples, the end, but it's damnable to not know It is coming. The judgment of God is the great neglected fulcrum of history. Don't miss this, because Jesus is teaching about it. Because it's easy to sort of modernize this away in Jesus. Jesus was about love and all that. But Jesus taught about the day of the Lord and judgment. It was something he regularly taught about it. The Sermon of the Mount bristles with it. Matthew 11 and 13 and 15 and 23 all have words of what? Judgment. I love uh, the song uh, written by Bono that you two sings, Until the End of the World. He sings the song, he sings the lyric, We ate the food, we drank the wine, everyone was having a good time except you. And he's talking about Jesus here. Except you. You were talking about the end of the world. Here Bono's crooning 
about he and Jesus and how he recognizes that Jesus is always talking about the end of the world. Judgment and the warning of it is a severe mercy. They were all wiped out. Why tell us this? Is this unloving? No, why? Because Jesus wants to save us from judgment. If judgment is a fact, it is unloving to not call us to stay awake to the reality of it. There is a reckoning, a baptism of fire, and the Holy Spirit that is coming, and judgment will come to the careless of this event. Love warns of judgment. Sentimentality warns of nothing at all and speaks only of an unholy love. And all of this is maybe where we want to make a clear line to Advent and Christmas. It's very easy for us to enter into the season like that. Sentimental. And Jesus has no such intent for us. He goes on. It will be like exile. Now, verse 40 and 41. These are the rapture texts, right? Two will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. So stay awake because you do not know the day of the Lord's coming. Verse 41. Two women will be working. One taken and one left. So stay awake because you do not know the day of the Lord's coming. Now, Jesus here is implanting himself in the history of God and his people. And the fall of the temple in AD 70 will be like the events before it. When was the temple fall down? When did the temple fall down in the events before? During exile. Jesus is comparing the second coming that's going to happen in the future to the event of AD 70 that's also in the future and the past event here of exile. And here's the thing. When exile visits, when a nation comes into your nation and takes you away, some were left and some were taken. And it's terrifying. In both verses, people are working, doing their normal jobs. There's a valuing here of vocation, right? The end of the world is coming, and they, are out there. they aren't out there street preaching. They're doing their job. They're normal humans. And the Romans come and kill and destroy. One is taken, and one is left. And there's surprise. The day is surprising, and the day is separating. And the question lingers for the disciples and for us. Will we be ready for the visit of the Lord? The world may seem to operate at an overall indifference to this event, living their best life, their most normal life, or numbing themselves to any concept that this could happen. But either way, swift change will come. The unknowing can be unbearable, right? And so we obsess about signs. The call is to forget the signs. He's saying to the disciples, forget the signs, but stay awake to the reality, the sign, the vindication of Jesus, his resurrection and ascension, Jesus in the sky. These are the signs that matter. These are the last days. And Jesus is wanting the disciples to live out of this hope in contrast to the world around them that this little band of disciples might walk the lonely path together, awake to the truth about the universe, because Jesus has come, will die and be raised, and he will come again. He is preparing them for what is about to happen for them. 
as they will see Jesus hung on a cross, he is giving them signs that that is leading to the end. When they stand around and look up at the sky, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, they are being reminded that this is the sign that the end is coming, that Jesus will return. At the center of it all is Jesus. It will divide friends and family, acquaintances, right down the middle. Some will be taken and some will left. So, stay awake. Verse 42, stay alert because you do not know the day the Lord is coming. Friends, your, your life is short. You and I won't live forever. What Josh said is true. Like, the older you get, and the older saints in this room know this to be true, the quicker it goes the quicker it goes. And there's one duty for the disciple. Stay awake. Stay awake for my coming. This is a permanent disposition in the Greek. This is the disposition of the disciple of Jesus. Of course we fail. But our way of being in the world is to be watchful. Now let's sit into this for a second. Because all of you know this like feeling of longing for something to be gone, to be taken away whatever it might be for you. You all know, like, experiences of sitting into something and wishing it was done, gone, no more. I was talking to one of my friends this week, and he was describing what happened. He had a, an episode, a mental, um, a, a battle of mental illness, and, and the, how he described being taken to the hospital and being restrained and telling people that, the restraints wouldn't hold him. And receiving a needle like this long. And the longing of his heart in that moment was to be well, for the darkness to be gone. He was longing deeply for, for change to happen, for something to be taken away. And the question for us is, have we been there? That's the kind of longing that is grounded in some sort of hope. Have you been there? Jesus gives this example in verse 43. You can be sure of this. If a homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have kept alert and not let him break into the house. Now notice, so too you must learn how to be ready, to be a ready people, because the Son of Man is coming when you do not expect him. The coming of Jesus is like the forced entry of an unwelcome burglar. And you will be surprised. You will be surprised. You will be surprised. What are the surprise visitors for you? As you think about your life, when has a surprised visitor arrived at your doorstep bringing calamity and this sense of the end of the world. The Lord knows what he's doing in that, friends. He's preparing you. He's giving you the liturgy to prepare you for his return, to be awake, to be alert. He's calling us to live our lives in such a way that when those surprises come, we're ready. A surprise visitor is coming sooner or later. We don't know when. Life will go on, and some will be taken and others left, so stay awake. We don't know what will happen today. 
when we walk out of this building. We don't know what will happen next week. We don't know what will happen next month. And we don't know what will happen next year. Like, like imagine right now as you sit, Advent 2023. What might that look like? We don't know. So how can you stay awake? Verse 44. So you too must learn how to be a ready people. Literally in Greek, be becoming a ready people. What Jesus wants the disciples to know, that word be becoming, it's, it takes time. It seems like the tone of this parable demands what's called an aorist imperative. Be a ready people now. But we get the present tense here. Be becoming a ready people. For Jesus, he knows that as he speaks this whole apocalyptic message into the disciples' hearts, hey, look at the temple, guys. You know what's coming? Not a brick's going to be left there. And they're like, I mean, that is a, a tearing apart of everything they value, know, love. And so he calls them into that space to stay alert to the coming of the Lord. In the same way that that temple's going to fall, be ready because the Lord's going to come like that. And he then encourages them by saying to them, be becoming. It takes time to learn how to hope. So how might we stay awake? Well, first, the gentle Jesus is saying to you this morning, be becoming. How do you, faith is that next step in front of you. How do you take that next step? Well, we are not waiting for someone who never shows up. Let me say it again. You're not waiting for someone who never shows up. Advent places us back into the coming of Jesus as what? A baby. It's ironic, right, that Jesus comes as a baby. What characterizes a baby? Urgent dependence. Some of you know this all too well right now. Urgent dependence. The neediness of a baby for sustenance and life from you, attention from you, time with you. Jesus came just like this. He surprised you. That's the wonder of the incarnation. This is how Jesus came. And then for 30 years, he was unknown. And when he went public, he still remained hidden, in fact, like, Jesus hid himself, right? Isn't it interesting that this was the posture of Jesus' life and ministry? He remained hidden, mostly unseen. When he did miracles and the crowds got caught up in the frenzy, the possibility that this was maybe the Messiah, he would withdraw or disappear. Why? Because Jesus lived with urgent dependence on his Father. He waited and trusted in the Father's time. He lived by every word from the Father. He was a watchman. He went out to quiet places to be with God. He lived in urgent dependence, waiting and trusting. Luther says about this text, live as if Jesus had died this morning, risen this afternoon, and was coming this evening. And this is what the text is calling the disciples. How can you become a ready people? With urgent dependence with urgent dependence. Like, knowing in and of yourself that there is nothing in you that can create this end to come. 
knowing within you that you will be oftentimes numb to the very reality. You'll be just like the people during the time of the flood, reveling about not being watchful and waiting. So you need to be urgently dependent on the Lord to make you watchful and waiting. And what helps you learn this kind of hope? Well, if we're honest, it's trials and tribulation, right? Like when things break, when there's loss, these things wake us up. Oh, oh yeah, this life can't satisfy me. There's this temptation when we are made awake to the reality of life. That there's something more that we were made for. Jesus wants us to be visited with the reality that life is short and death will eventually visit us. And there's a piece of this that Jesus will tease out as we walk through Advent together by becoming a ready people because there is a judge and there is judgment. Now, let's lean in here because most of us are like, bro, this is Christmas. Give me the good news. Well, for Jesus, this is good news. Judgment means an end to all that is broken. It means an end to tyrants. It means an end to shootings. It means an end to sickness and disease. It means an end to the visitation of death. And yes, all these things are birth pains. They are apocalyptic moments, unveilings, where we're meant to wake up that there is only one life, but after this life, there is judgment. And that judgment will make all the birth pangs go away and give birth to new life. And what do we do in the face of that? Well, we're all waiting for the one who has come and will come again. Jesus came, a baby, a man, living in utter dependence on the Father. Even as he went to the cross, he clung in urgent dependence on what? The Father's words. And by that cross, all sin and brokenness of the world are undone. And then vindication. There's hints of vindication littered throughout Advent. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for vindication where God brings the word like a, like a soothing parent. Everything's going to be okay. How? Well, well, because Jesus died and was risen. And in resurrection, God vindicates the crucified and shamed Jesus with the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the rest of your father. And so too with us, our urgent dependence is the way we become a people of hope. We rest and keep coming back to the good news that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Second, this command in verse 44 isn't in the singular, it's in the plural. How can you become a ready people? participating in community life together that's trying to be ready. In fact, I would love for you to chat about this in city group this week, in men's group, women's Bible study. How can we, City Presbyterian, be a ready people together? How can we help each other to be becoming awake and watchful to the reality of the second coming of Jesus? How can we help each other to be becoming hopeful and watchful in the face of visitors that might be unwanted, like death and sickness and loss? How can we learn to really hope? No Pollyanna wishing away the realities of life, like no cocooning ourselves in the terse words, well, God has a plan, there must be a purpose in all of it. 
No avoidance of that reality that Christ will come again in some kind of YOLO kind of living. How can we help be helping each other to hope? And like Jesus, the last thing here is remember. Remember, the whole thing that frames Matthew is that God is with you. Matthew 18.20, Jesus gathers his disciples and says, where two or three are gathered, I'm right there in the middle. And then in Matthew 28, the end of the gospel, Jesus sends his disciples out saying, look, I myself am right here with you all the days, even to the end of the age. So we will endure, verse here in our, our text, 13 and 14 and 15, how will we endure till the end? Well, God will see to it. The news will fill the world, and then the end will come. So endure in the news until the end. How will you endure to the end? Remembering that Jesus is with you and that you as a disciple are not alone, both in Christ and with a community of disciples who are living to be becoming a ready people, an awake people, an Advent people, saying, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. What is our hope this morning, friends? I hope your hope this morning is that Jesus is with you, holding you as we walk into the end of the world. This is what makes us ready. He is who wakes us up. So are you ready? Are you awake? Cling to Jesus this morning. Cling to his people. Be becoming a hopeful and ready people. Let's pray. God, help us as we uh, come to the table. And the very act of this is both remembrance and hope. We do it as a community. You invite us to the table to take and to eat together as your people. And you charge us that we're going to do this until the end of the age when you come again. And we sit in the tension of that this morning. The not yet. The not yet of a world full of brokenness that we know all too well, both in our own hearts and in our city and in our country and in our world. And we're afraid, if we're honest. We're afraid of what will be unveiled in judgment for us and the life that we've lived. And so our only hope this morning is to cling to Christ, his work on our behalf, his righteousness, his faithfulness. And so I pray that we would run to you this morning. We'd run to this table. We come empty-handed and take what you alone can provide for us. And that you, by doing that together, you will make us ready. Make us more awake to the realities of the world. I pray that this would sit with us this week, God, as we think about what does it mean to be an Advent people. The be becoming. A ready people. Make us that way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.